it's a cosmic joke, isn't it? By the time you you understand that, it's like it's not too late, but it's like you wish you'd known that when you were younger. You could got a lot more done. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? In recent episodes, I've been lifting up some podcasts created by women of color. And this week, I'm excited to share about the 10,000 Women, 10,000 Stages podcast with Narissa Street. Tune in to the 10,000 Women, 10,000 Stages podcast, where you'll learn how to use your unique voice to powerfully impact your industry. Narissa Street tells you exactly what to do and brings some powerhouse guests who have already done it. Listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcast favorites. 10,000 Women, 10,000 Stages. Hi there, it's Nancy here. I hope you guys are hanging in there. Um, Hope you're doing okay. It's interesting to me how this pandemic seems to have brought out the human in all of our interactions. And it's like I get at work, I get all these emails that start with, how are you? Are you okay? You still good? And I send the same kind of emails and it's expressing a level of concern that I'm unaccustomed to in the workplace. At this point, I know which of my clients and vendors have kids at home, how everybody's doing with their pets, you know, like I've got this new level of detail about people's personal lives in work. That's really cozy. And obviously, the reason I know all this stuff now is horrible. But it's kind of nice that we're being a little kinder to each other. And, uh, you know, in the spirit of that, I think you guys should know that I've been wearing my hair in the same two French braids as I did back in sixth grade for the entire week, because I don't know that I'll ever see a hairdresser again. So I'm just going very Laura Ingalls here uh, in Oakland, California. So now you know that about me. It's not a great look when you're 54. I'm going to be honest. Hey, here's my regular ask. If you're not subscribed to the Midlife Mix Tape podcast where you're listening, make sure to go hit the subscribe button now so you don't miss an episode. Coming up in August, I'm probably only going to have one episode. The reason is I'm going to go visit my mom across the country in New York. And yes, I'm super nervous about that. She's 86 and has uh, some underlying conditions, but it's been seven months since I've seen her and she's the only person I would actually get on a plane for at this point. So uh, I'll be out of pocket for a couple of weeks in August. So there probably will only be one episode and I want to make sure you don't miss it. So make sure you subscribe. And if you like the show, please leave a review wherever you're listening. It really helps other people to find the Midlife Mixtape podcast. Gives me a boost, except for when you give me one star reviews, but even that I don't care. And, you know, tell your friends and family to tune in. There's a lot of people out there in the years between being hip and breaking one. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that we're not afraid to tackle some pretty deep subjects. And I feel really honored to be able to talk with guests who have much more knowledge than I do on these topics. And I feel lucky that I've been able to share their takes on topics like affordable housing and local press and all kinds of other stuff that are important for us to know about. But you know what, COVID or not, it's still summer. I look out the window and I can tell. And in the summer, we need to escape with really good music. So I am super excited about today's guest, musician Teddy Thompson. A member of the British musical dynasty helmed by his legendary musician parents, Linda and Richard Thompson, Teddy left London for the States at 18 and settled in New York five years later. And I read an interview once where he said, I took a summer vacation that never ended. 
After releasing his self-titled debut in 2000, Teddy went on tour as part of Roseanne Cash's band. Since then, he's released five albums, collaborated with good friends Martha and Rufus Wainwright, contributed to numerous tribute projects, and produced albums for Americana singer-songwriters Allison Moore and Shelby Lynn, Dory Freeman, Roseanne Reed, as well as his mom, Linda Thompson. And Teddy's just released a brand new album called Heartbreaker Please, and we get to share a couple of singles from the new album during this interview. So let's do this. Let's pretend we're in an actual theater. Put your phone in your back pocket, hold your drink with your teeth, and then put your hands together to help me welcome Teddy Thompson. Welcome to the Midlife Mixtape Podcast, Teddy Thompson. I'm so glad you're with us today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be at home here. Home is New York, right? Correct. And are you are you doing all the things, wearing the mask and staying inside and all that stuff? Oh, no, no, none of that. I um, I don't wear a mask because I think I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, <laughs> of course, yeah. You're out licking people, just random strangers, yeah, coughing yeah, at whoever yeah. you can. Just, yeah, and just go up to people in the street and spit on them and slather. Yeah. <laughs> Teddy, we have an icebreaker question we always ask on the Midlife Mixtape Podcast, and I love asking it of musicians because I think sometimes the answer can be really indicative of the career path. But here's the thing. I've never asked anyone whose parents were also professional musicians, but this is the question. What was your first concert and what were the circumstances? Ah, yeah. Well, um, it's like a lullaby on your first day of birth, right? From your parents, Richard and Linda Thompson. You might think that it wasn't, it wasn't quite what you would imagine. Uh, my parents were, you know, working musicians, but they, uh, you know, they really just went to work. And then when they came home, they were regular folk we didn't sit around singing songs or anything mm. but having uh the first concert i went to was definitely my parents um it was definitely at a festival somewhere and we would um drive the volvo station wagon up and and park it backstage with a bunch of other you know artists and artist kids and we would just camp out in the back of the station wagon and they would uh they would play their music and we would we would play with the other kids so but apart from my parents um the first concert of somebody else i went to was dun 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 the everly brothers at the royal albert hall oh my gosh and they're a huge influence on your music so i'm gonna say that did make a difference for you oh my god life-changing it was um i remember it very clearly uh my grandmother took me because i think she, she was the only one around who could take me uh, and I remember very clearly we got on the number 11 bus uh, from Knightsbridge and we went down Brompton Road and we went to the Royal Albert Hall and we had good seats. I think my mother probably, you know, got them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was it was amazing. And what I really remember, I'd, I already loved them at that point. And very early on, I was really into the Everly Brothers. And so I knew the songs and I was enthralled. And uh, but what I remember apart from that was they would they were both up. I think they were actually not speaking to each other at this point, oh, <laughs> which I great. didn't know, which I which I didn't know at the time. But anyway, they were they were stood at the front and the band was all way in the back. So it just kind of looked like the two of them. And they were they would strum their guitars and they broke strings a lot which you know a lot most musicians don't but they were sort of strumming away hard anyway they would and maybe it was also stagecraft but when they broke a string they would take off their guitar and throw it (laughs) 
to I mean, to me, it seemed like an impossible distance. It probably wasn't, but to a little kid, I was like, they, he took it out, threw it to his guitar tech, who was you know several feet away, who caught it and then would change the string and, and bring it back. To like him, throwing it in cool. anger, or just this is part no, no, of no, my just, Cirque du Soleil routine that I do with my guitar. Yeah, just just as you know, showmanship. It was so cool. How old were you when you went? I think I was ten. Mm. I have to tell you, this question is so important to me. I think this is like my go-to question has been for years because I think people always have an interesting answer. And I wanted to make sure my two kids had a good answer for this question when they grew up. So when they turned 10, I said, you each get to pick a concert. And it ha- I had a couple rules. It has to be at the Fillmore, San Francisco, because it's an iconic venue and you want to you know, start your concert going career right. And I had veto power because I didn't want them to make me go see the Wiggles or something like that. So when my younger daughter is asked the question, who is your first concert? The answer will be Teddy Thompson. Wow. Poor child. No, she loved it. But (laughs) you were opening, it was on the Bella tour and you were opening for Katie Lang and we went Uh, and as you know, if you take a 10 year old kid to a concert, people are extra nice to you. You should always take one with you if you you can find one. And they pushed us right (laughs) up to the front and she was literally underneath the microphone and you played all her favorites and it was great. But here's the thing. When you finished, she's like, okay, ready to go. And I said, oh, uh, no, he was the opener. There's still Katie Lang is going to play. And she said, I don't know who that is. It's a school night. I want to go home. <laughs> and so I followed. Nobody has the confidence of a 10-year-old girl whose needs have been met. She's like, I'm done. So I still have never seen Katie Lang. And as I followed her out of the out of the film where people were like, um, the con- the concert didn't start yet. And I'm like, I'm aware. I know that. So anyway, <laughs> it, you just, it, it was, it was enough to see you play. So there you go. That's lovely. This is going to be a fun, light, great music for your summer listening kind of an episode is what this is going to be. So your new album, Heartbreaker Please, came out on May 29th. And this is your sixth album. It's fabulous. I've been playing it nonstop. Um, For you listeners, you can download it, you can stream it, you can be like me and buy the white vinyl version. So Teddy, I want to start by asking you, what's the story behind this album? I mean, you are the king of the breakup song. You've written so many great breakup songs, but I I felt like this case, you were not the breaker upper. It was kind of the other way around. So you want to give us kind of the, the story that's behind Heartbreaker, please? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to shatter the, uh, you know, the illusion. People like to imagine and possibly be told that uh, all records are about one particular person and one particular moment or one particular era in your life. And it's not entirely true, but I would say it's about 60% uh, about one particular girl and uh, woman who, yes, I I was the, uh, I'm, I'm accustomed to being the breaker-upper and in this relationship, I was the break-uppie. That's two uh, E's at the know, end of breakup E. Breakup E, yeah. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was uh, that was That's a, a learning experience. Yeah, it's about time, really. <laughs> <laughs> I had it coming. <laughs> so when when you say sixty percent, so talk about because I'm not a musician, I don't know the answer to this. How does an album come together for you then? How, when do you say, oh, I think I got enough here that I'm going to go back into the studio? Well, for me, it's just that. Um, other people are, are certainly different and other people, I think, um, perhaps more con- conscientious of what they're writing about when they're writing it. I, I'm not really, I tend to write songs uh, and, and play music 
all the time, just in my everyday life. Most, most days I'm playing the guitar, doing something. And a lot of the time it's, it's somewhat absent-minded. It's not sitting down at a desk with a pad and paper. It's just noodling. And uh, what tends to happen is that I just get to a point where I've written a few songs and it's, it's usually three or four, or maybe, maybe it's more like five. And then for me, there's, there's very often there's one song that you finish is in that batch and you go, Oh yeah. Okay. That's sort of a cornerstone to a record. And now I feel like I have about half of a record and now I should sit down and finish up all those other ideas that I have and half finished things that I have. So let's play the title track from Heartbreaker, please. And this is, uh, you know, just, I think, quintessential Teddy Thompson. It, it's you're like, you're going to bop, you're going to be shaking your head. It's really upbeat. And then you listen to the lyrics and you're like, oh, shit, this is a sad song. So like, if you are going through heartbreak and you need a musical companion who will actually help you dance your way through it. You know, you can always, you can always rely on Teddy Thompson and let's play heartbreaker please. And you'll get, you'll get what I'm talking about. Here's the peace of my heart that you left
love that song. Was that one of the Cornerstone songs? Uh, not exactly, but it was definitely it was it was the it was like the hit single song, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> not not that I would expect to be a hit single, but but yeah, it's definitely that was definitely one where I thought, oh, that's a really good, uh, that's a catchy, uh, radio friendly sort of song, right? You talked about the sort of the the song framework for an album. I'm curious about the sound of the album and how that evolved for you, because obviously, given who your family is, you come out of a you know the British folk heritage, and that's really present in your music. I know you love country music. I know you love Crowded House, which is my favorite, and also the answer to my older daughter's question: What is the first concert you saw? So, I mean, you've got this pop, this pop sensibility, and not necessarily just modern pop, but you've got kind of fifties and sixties sounds in there too. So, do you do that consciously, weave that sound in, or is that just your, the evolution of your of your musical sensibility as you as you've gone on in your career? The latter. I don't think too much about. About uh, yeah, a, a musical uh, or a sort of sonic landscape. It really, when, when I'm going into record, I, I definitely just have developed certain tastes and certain um, I, ideas about what sounds right to me, and that's that's just what I do. Yeah, and it's it's an amalgamation of uh, all the influences I had growing up. I definitely, you know, if I was to try and deconstruct it myself, I would probably point to you know. There's definitely a, a, a strong basis in what I would call pop music, and when I when I meaning just popular music, because to me, you know, the Everly Brothers was pop music, and Hank Williams was also pop music. I don't differentiate too much. So uh, there's that, and then I would certainly say that I am totally, I was going to say dependent, but totally enamored of a particular type of guitar playing, which is essentially my dad. Because um, I just he's just the greatest and has the most incredible sound, and I also grew up with that sound, and that just sounds right to me. You know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, he played he's played on most of my records, just mostly when I need a guitar solo. <laughs> you know, I call him up because Take away, because Dad. yeah yeah fill this space please uh, <laughs> because um, he's sui generis and he is um, without equal when it comes to especially electric guitar in a recorded set. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we talk about a lot on the Midlife Mixtape podcast for the years between being hip and breaking one, since we're trying to find the good things about being in this middle phase instead of just the sucky stuff. um, One of the things we talk about is what are the ways in which you're more efficient and better at what you do now than when you first started? And I, I imagine, you know, especially when it, when we're talking about a creative field like songwriting, you know, you start piling up the wreckage over the years. And I wonder if that changes the way that you approach writing songs that or, or the topics about which you write. How Your first album came out in 2000 when you were in your early 20s. How did that album process differ from the one for Heartbreaker Please? Well, you know, it's not that different, actually, surprisingly. Mm. it's. Um, I would like to think that the, I mean, the songwriting is not really that different. I would like to think that the songs are a bit better, a bit better crafted, which I, I think is true. And I definitely uh, have a better command of my own voice uh, mm. as, you know, I, I, I sing better, um, which I think is normal for most people. 
uh, I, when I listen to that first record, uh, well, I don't listen to it, but when, when, it, when, it, when I, when I, when I, when I hear something, from that when I did. Record, yeah, when I hear something from that first record, I, I'm, I'm sort of shocked at how, um, to me, it sounds meek, but, mm. uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm certainly far enough removed now, 20 years later to not be, you know, embarrassed by it. I think most of it is, is, um, is, uh, sweet. You know, I, I go, I go, ah, rather than, uh, when I hear it. What about on the business side and the marketing side? I we're going to talk about how this is uh, marketing album has changed in the era of COVID. But pretend we're in regular times. The way you approach the business of music has that changed for you as you've as you've gotten older? Uh, it's changed. It's certainly changed. I, not so much as a result of getting older, just as, as a result of the music business having changed so dramatically in the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and you know even even more so in the last. 10 and even more so in the last five and or in the last three months or in the or last how, three months. how I many mean, months really, is it now i feel like it's been it's, 11 already i don't know uh, well yes there is that but yes i mean even in normal times before this the business side of it has you know and i'm not going to pretend that it's not much worse because it is and mm. you know if you've if you've lived if you experienced the previous iteration of the music business which was you know certainly had its flaws but basically there was just a lot more money to go around because you know it just it just adds up you know one cd was 14.99 so you don't have to be robert reich to you know do the maths and figure out that now it's a f- tiny fraction of that the pie is so small now and i much preferred the old days it was it was much better there was a lot of money to go around there were also you know there were anr people who were you know gatekeepers and tastemakers who would you know, find the artist and then they would, you know, support them and put money behind them. And when it came to making a record, you had a lot more time to do it. You had more money to do it. You could do it in a real studio with great musicians. Those musicians could get paid very well as they should. And now uh, making a record is very much like everything's on a shoestring and everything's, you know, calling in favors and everything's you're paying for a lot of things yourself and then hoping to, to claw that money back some, some, somewhere else down the road, maybe in live performances. So, yeah, it's a struggle and it's not better. <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's not, I'll just go ahead and say it. It's just, it's not great. It's right. hard. It's really hard. Right. And uh, it's, hard, it's hard for me, but it's also as a working musician, but it also pains me on a, a philosophical uh, plane where, you know, I, I, in that music is now so undervalued. It's something that now is, is, is free, essentially. And when you do that to something, it, you know, the value in society is just, that's the place it holds. It's like, oh, music is just a free thing. A song is just a free thing you get on your phone. And that saddens me. Well, and it's interesting because uh, as soon as the pandemic started, where did we turn? We were like binge watching TV shows and movies. We were listening to music. We were listening to podcasts. We all turn to these creative outlets to distract us from the horror in which we found ourselves. And yet, I mean, it's that it's so it's so pervasive in our lives, but we it's like air, you don't think about it, or we don't think about it the same way we used to. And we don't value it, even though it's such an important part of our lives. So, you know, I don't know, I'm just hoping for the great reckoning out of all of this that 
people will be paid what they're worth and that we will, you know, kind of revisit what we, where we're spending our dollars and, and where we're putting value in society. So lofty goals for a pandemic, but why not? You know, I've got to give myself something to look forward to. <laughs> Let's talk about the fact that, you know, you launched the album. I know you had uh, a tour that has had to be either canceled or postponed, I'm sure at least postponed. But you're doing a ton of online stuff. I've seen you, you know, you've uh, been doing some Facebook Live stuff. Let's talk about how you are getting the word out about the album virtually. And I want to make sure everybody who's listening to this knows where to tune in for that. Yeah, it's been strange. Uh, there was you know, certainly some discussion and for so many other people uh, releasing uh, music and I'm sure film and TV too, uh, that, you know, what should we wait? Should we not release it? And and there was discussion, but actually, you know, to your point earlier, people, we decided, and I think we were right, that people are actually have a lot, you know, sitting home and would be even more interested in probably hearing a, a new record from someone that they like. And so we went ahead and released it and uh, the touring will, it'll just be a, a separate thing. It'll be this, this year of record release and then next year we will, will tour. Are you going to do a U.S. tour? Just marking my yeah, calendar I mean, now. Probably. I mean, it's um, it's it's not nailed down. The stuff in Europe is a little easier. To, that's all been rescheduled. The stuff in the U.S. Um, is we have to wait a bit longer because, uh, as you can imagine, there's you know basically every touring artist in in the world has had to reschedule for next year. So there's a there's a bottleneck of people trying to reschedule, and your venues are struggling. So um, we don't know yet, but there will be U.S. dates. Yeah. Yeah, I've made it clear to everyone who knows me, don't try to call me in 2021. I'm at a show. I'm at a concert that night. <laughs> I'm unavailable. So yeah. yeah, you've done some live stuff on your Facebook page. Is that is that the best place for people to go to see you do um, do clips from the album? Or where can we find you online? Absolutely. Uh, face, yeah, Facebook and Instagram. And uh, also my website, which is teddythompson.net. It's not teddythompson.com because some sort of German farming conglomerate owns that for some reason. I'm not quite sure. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if you follow me on on Facebook or Instagram, you will be made aware of streaming gigs. And I know you were doing... You do house concerts too occasionally, right? Maybe that's the the interim step. Is there a way to do house concerts where everybody wears a mask and you you know just have people from your bubble? I don't, I'm I'm just trying to be creative because I don't think I can take a full year without a live show. Yeah, I haven't. I have done a few in the past. Um, I haven't thought too much about how that would look uh, in the current climate, but theoretically it could work. Mm. You know, I mean, maybe it's time to maybe I should go on Amazon and buy one of those uh, those uh, temperature reader things that you just hold to people's heads. Well, have you seen the thing, the concert goer bubble that I, uh, somebody's developing this thing where you put it on, it's just the top half of your body and it's basically like a plastic, plastic ball. And I don't know how yeah. you breathe. I'm not even sure that's important, but you know, it just, it'd be like a bunch of people in the audience just ricocheting off each other. That could bring a new element to the experience. I mean, it sounds fun. It does. Uh, it sounds, it's what well, it sounds fun to, to be on stage watching people do that. But I'm not sure how fun it sounds as a concert goer, but uh, well, I think the, pro- you know, yeah, it's going to be tricky. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I think it's really, things will not be able to go back to normal really until there is a, a vaccine and, right. and because, 
And a new president. And definitely a new president because, you know, it's just the math, the financial side of doing live concerts does not work if, if only every other seat is filled. Right. So right. That, that, that's not sustainable. All right. Well, you guys make sure you're looking uh, at teddythompson.net. If you find yourself on the other one, tell him Dankeschön, but this is the wrong site. And then make sure you're following Teddy on, is it Teddy Thompson, right? On Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, yeah. So apropos of being home and trying to distract ourselves, I wonder if there is a cocktail recommendation that you have for people listening to Heartbreaker, please, because I got this cookbook last year called Booze and Vinyl, and it matches up iconic albums with the drink you should have when you're listening. So now when I get a new vinyl album, I'm like, oh, what could I mix up to go with this? So do you have a favorite that we should be drinking while we're listening? Yeah, yeah, I have a I have a cocktail. It's a proprietary blend, but I'll... Mm. Um, Come I'll, on, I'll give it midlife mixtape exclusive. Share it. Uh, yeah, I'll give you my cocktail. It's uh, it's tequila with uh, pineapple juice and a splash of seltzer water, and then the key ingredient is amaro. And uh, if you can find a nice one of those, it's like it's a sort of you know a vin santo. It's a it's an Italian version of of digestif. Oh. So there's m- many different kinds. It just has it's just herbs, different herbs in there. Uh, so you need a, l- a little splash of amaro and then a squeeze of lime, and you can. Uh, I like it, you know, in a cocktail shaker and then in a martini glass, vigorously shaken. Thank God liquor stores are still considered essential here in Oakland. I'm going to head out this afternoon. and Yeah, liquor stores are doing a roaring trade, as are drug dealers. Whatever you need to get through right now. I, this is my mantra yeah. to everybody. Extend grace. Don't apologize for mm. anything you're doing to get through till tomorrow. It's If it's working, keep doing it. I want to play another song from the album, which... Why wait for you to break my heart? There, There's a lyric. So this one is Why Wait. You can introduce your song. How about that? Sure. This song is called Why Wait. It's I, I'm very proud of this song in a sort of different way than I would be from something else because to me it's a very, it's it's a universal sort of song. It's more of a classic song. It's a little bit uh, sort of 60s soul and um, it goes almost exactly like this. You and I 
So, Teddy, one of the things I've noticed about your social media over the past couple of weeks is that you're really using it to amplify the long overdue call for racial reckoning in this country. And I wondered if you ever get any blowback from folks on that who say, you know, stay in your lane or anything like that. I always think it's interesting when celebrities are speaking out on this stuff and trying to bring attention to important issues and get told that they shouldn't do that. And I wondered if you're experiencing that at all. No, not really. I mean, I, once in a while, there's a comment where people essentially just miss the point and they react rather off the cuff or, or too quickly or just based on the, the subject matter without without actually reading the post, which, you know, what can you do? But no, not, nobody, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think I have enough uh, followers to really to be so universally followed that you might have some, you know, some people that would disagree with with something so fundamentally right. I think is is I'm not at that level, so I, it's been fine. And I, you know, I I I'm only just trying to, just trying to, yeah, just be part of it. And I I don't think I'm doing anything anything more than most people. I'm doing probably doing less than most people are. But I think it's important that everybody just do something. I mean, the least you can do is just repost and just keep it so just so that it uh, momentum continues and and just so it's constantly seen by everybody, like you know, pounded into people's heads because it, it's time. It's time for things to change. Are there any particular organizations out there doing good work in the space of Black Lives Matter or any of these any of these areas where you know attention is finally being given that you want to give a shout out to that we should go check out? Um, I like the NAACP and I also like the Southern Poverty Law Center. I mean, yeah. what, what's not to like? I mean, there's, there's so many you know there's so many great, there's there's tons of great institutions to to lend to give money to, but I mean, yeah, you know, there's there's lots of those two I think do great work and so do tons of others so uh, yeah I'm, and I'll I'll put links to those I mean y'all should know who those who NAACP and S- SPLC am I saying or SP, something SPLC you should know who, who they are but I'll put links into the show notes to to make it easy for you to go and support those organizations and like Teddy said do something do make you know if you're not amplifying or if you are amplifying doing amplify and do some other thing too like we can all be adding on to the work we're doing right now to keep our foot on the gas and keep this conversation going so i did say it was going to be a light music episode but there's no reason we shouldn't be talking about all of this stuff we're we are smart people capable of hard things teddy there is a last question we always ask on this show, which is what one piece of advice do you have for people younger than you? Or do you wish you could go back and tell yourself? Well, I think because I'm such a self-involved person, I'm going to, I'll choose the latter. <laughs> <laughs> also because I, I, I lack the confidence to think that I, I could possibly tell. I, well, you know, you know, let me just as a sidebar say that I, I'm so proud of the younger generation and I'm so I'm so I hold my hands up and and say that I did not think that they were capable of standing up the way they have and honestly you know the protest game that's a young man's game mm. <laughs> you know I mean we can all be part of it but to really like camp out and and be out there every day you know I noticed looking around that it's you know it's it's, it's a lot of 20 somethings because right. you know, they they have the energy and the stamina to do it and and their feet don't hurt when they stand up on concrete for hours at a time <laughs> exactly their back the, the backs don't hurt so I'm so I'm so I'm so grateful to them and I'm so impressed I'm so thankful but I one piece of advice I mean for myself uh, and I, I'm sure there are other 
people who are of the same persuasion, I would tell myself to just be kinder to myself, to go a little easier on myself and to not worry about every little move that I make and just to, uh, to try to enjoy it a little more. The, that idea when we're younger that we think everyone's staring at us all the time and actually nobody's, <laughs> yeah. nobody's looking at you ever. They don't care. Ever. No, nobody cares. No, the, that person you walk by on the street doesn't give you a second thought. But no. it's so hard. I mean, it's, that's one of life's, you know, it's a cosmic joke, isn't it? By the time you, you understand that, it's like, it's not too late, but it's like you wish you'd known that when you were younger. You got a lot more done. <laughs> no, but it's your door prize for not being able to stand on concrete for hours at a time protesting. You know, you do get some, this is the, you know, the offsetting benefit that you get from getting older. So as long as it keeps balancing out. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. There has to, there have, there has to be pros to, to to the aging process and there are and one is that i got to interview teddy thompson on the show so i am really appreciative of your time you guys please check out heartbreaker please the album you can stream it download it uh you can find more information at teddythompson.net and on his social media stuff and uh really grateful to you for making the time to come on the show today teddy my pleasure thanks for having me How great was that? It was pretty great, right? When Teddy and I talked in the interview about how much art has distracted and helped us endure through the pandemic, I got to wondering what you guys have turned to for comfort. So I asked that question over on the Midlife Mixtape Facebook page. By the way, if you haven't already liked that page, make sure you do. So that kind of question will show up in your feed and you can answer. But anyway, there was a tsunami of responses. So many that I can really only share a sample here. But suffice it to say that when you finish reading the entire internet and you still need music and TV and movie recommendations, head over to the Midlife Mixtape Facebook page and scroll through till you see this giant post. Here's just a sample of what people were saying over there. Colleen keeps asking Alexa to play Cracklin' Rose by Neil Diamond. Oh, love that song. Um, Amy's listening to bluegrass music while she paints, and Donna's tuned into Taco Cats, The Regrets, and Trash Can Sinatras. I think Mike wins the Broad Spectrum Award because he said he's listening to Brave Combo, which is polka and world music, Hawkwind, Steely Dan, Big Band, and Bebop Jazz, and Norwegian Black Metal. Mary is curating her very own version of MTV thanks to YouTube, and she said she's binging on Big Freedia videos. I told her if she has not read Big Freedia's memoir called God Save the Queen Diva, it's really good. I recommend it to all you guys that Big Freedia's take on Hurricane Katrina, she was in New Orleans at the time, is pretty chilling, and I just love Big Freedia. Mary also recommends a trance vibe channel called Chill Out Deer, like the animal deer. She said it's very good for co-working and school and yoga. And uh, Jill's got Ricky Lee Jones on heavy rotation. So that's on the music side. There were also suggestions for your TV and movie viewing. Everybody is hyped for Hamilton. They're sucking down Shit's Creek, and everybody's rewatching Parks and Rec and Scrubs. And Deidre recommended the Fake Doctors Real Friends podcast from Scrubbus actors Zach Braff and Donald Faison. The other suggestion I love was Olive and Mabel, which is a YouTube channel about two dogs made by their owner, Andrew Cotter, and he voices the dogs and kind of narrates the dogs. And I love it. And Andrew Cotter got a book deal. So good for you, Andrew Cotter. Anyway, the list is extensive, but I do think it makes the point in times of stress, we turn to art 
to make like Calgon and take us away. So we need to ask ourselves whether we're supporting the artists so that they will survive and continue to create the work that means so much for us. Not, And I'm not saying you, Mr. Listener, Mr. Listener, have to empty your pockets and support the entire music industry. But, you know, maybe we can be doing things societally. Maybe we can be the people who are making noise and signing petitions societally to make changes so that artists have a way to survive. It's food for thought. And in that spirit, it's been a minute since I gave a shout out to the artist behind the amazing music in my podcast. That's Kyle Terezi, also known as M, the heir apparent. I'm going to leave a link to his website. This is mxoxo.com in the show notes, but I love Kyle. He's always been so generous with his music. He's a Bay Area singer-songwriter. And um, yeah, thanks, Kyle. I really appreciate it. And in honor of this episode and Teddy and you guys, I think I'm going to wander over and make a Patreon donation to Kyle today. So thank you for the reminder. What did you think of today's show? Are there musicians and other kinds of artists who are helping you get through? Email me and let me know at dj at midlifemixtape.com or find me as midlifemixtape, all one word, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Okay, slackers, you're my people. Have a great week. I don't want to be this, don't want to be that, don't want to give up, I want to give back, I want to be free by whatever means, whatever you want from me, I want to be, don't want to be this, don't want to be that, don't want to give up, I want to give back, I want to be free by whatever means, whatever you want from me, I want to be, 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 I want to be, I want to be free by whatever means.